0: Welcome to the Gregory Dickow podcast. Today, I'm going to drill down further on what I kind of ended with last time. And this is simply called framing, naming and taming your emotions, framing, naming and taming your emotions. And we talk about emotional intelligence. It refers to the ability. Now, listen to me now. It refers to the ability to manage your emotions and to be able to manage or handle the emotions of somebody else. What what I mean is we're not responsible for somebody else's emotions, but we're responsible to be able to manage and to be able to handle our emotions, even when somebody else's emotions might trigger something inside of you. Emotional intelligence is the ability to manage your emotions and be able to handle someone else's emotions as well. And sometimes we're not able to do that. And that's where we need to get. That's where we need to acquire and develop the skills to manage uh, situational emotional situations in our lives, because we all we all have them. There's, There's no one of us that is not dealing with some emotion that we are challenged by or a friend, a loved one's emotion that is a challenge to us in our life or a challenge to them in their life. And the ability you have to remember how powerful you are. You are so powerful that you influence the people around you by the manner in which you handle your life, your emotions and your situation and circumstances. And so I want to like my goal in my life is to is to always it's to, it's to honor God first and foremost. It's not not to care what people think, but to care about people, yes, not to care what people think, but to care about people. So even though we're free from what I call people bondage, we're, we're free from people bondage, like we don't have to be a slave to what people think of us. But we do need to be servants regarding how we treat people. Yeah. Yeah. And usually the, the, the either negativity or posi- either positivity or negativity mm-hmm in our treatment of somebody is based on our emotions. So if we're in a positive mood and if we're and if something triggers positive emotions, then we treat people in a positive way. If something's triggering a negative emotion, we often treat people in a negative way. And we have to learn to manage that so that no matter what emotion that we're going through, we still treat people with respect dignity, honor, worth and value. Can I get a good amen here? We're all on the same page with that, I'm sure. Um, So so emotional intelligence is the ability to identify and manage your own emotions and as well as the circumstances that cause you to to come up against somebody else's emotions as well. And that's why I put it like this last week is emotional intelligence. Um, it, It is to be able to frame your emotions, to name your emotions and then to tame your emotions. And what I mean by that is simply to frame your emotions means when you have when you have an emotional reaction to something good or bad, you need to put it in perspective. That's that's what I mean by framing it. You put it in perspective like, like uh, we've said before, um, let your emotions subside before you decide. Usually when we make a decision based on our emotions, it's oftentimes the wrong decision. But when we step back and let our emotions subside, let let the, let the boiling water stop boiling before you determine and before you decide uh, what the next step is in a situation that is the best way to handle and to manage and to and to lead yourself like in because I believe that when you when you take the time to invest your Wednesday night in studying the Bible with me. I value your time and what I and I I honor it. And what I want you to get out of this is not only a great, beautiful worship experience with Jesus, but I want you to become a leader in life. I want you, because if you're like spending this kind of time and going to the trouble of being here, I want you to be a leader in life. And the first person that you need to learn to lead is you. It's you. You got to lead you. You have to be in control of you. You have to be in control of your emotions, your decisions um, to own your life, to own your stuff, to own your choices, to own your behavior, to own your emotions. We all do. I do. You do. We all do. So um, and as we talked about last week uh, in in Luke six forty two, Jesus said, if you he said before you try to take the log out of somebody else's eye, you have to take or before you try to take the speck out of somebody's eye, you got to take the log out of your own eye so that you can see clearly the speck that is in somebody else's eye. And the reason why Jesus compared. Now, think about this for a moment. Like Jesus talks about the log in in my eye, like the way I apply this personally, is Jesus is talking about my log and your spec. In other words, that's how much bigger of an issue it is that I take care of my responsibility, that I'm responsible for me. That's how much bigger of an issue it is than for me to make sure I'm responsible for you. You see what I'm saying? Like, for, for me, it's a log for when I look at your situation, that's a spec. When I look at my situation, it's a log, even if they're the same situation. To me, it's a log. And to you, you got your own log. But as far as I'm concerned, I my life is I got to deal with my logs. If I'm going to help you with your specs, I'm not. If I if I take the if I take the attitude of I got to deal with my specs so I can help you with your logs. Okay, do you see the problem with that? Do you see the problem with that? Because really the log that you're seeing in the other person's eye is really only because your log is stretching that far all the way to them. And and once you get a hold of that, once you get a hold of that, you begin to step into some emotional freedom because emotional freedom starts with truth, that that emotional intelligence starts with self-honesty. Because if we're honest with our if I'm honest with myself and I check myself, then then any time that I refer to you or your situation, if we're in some sort of interaction, as long as I'm checking myself, then I'm going to approach you with gentleness. But the moment that I approach you with something other than humility or gentleness, it's because it's because I'm not checking myself. Do you know what I mean? So if 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 I'm if I'm If I'm checking myself, my attitude towards you is going to be one of humility. I'm not going to be like the guy. If we check ourselves, we're not going to be like it says in Luke 18. I'll just read this to you in Luke chapter 18 because you guys want to lead. You guys want to be leaders. You guys want to have impact. Right. You want to make a difference in your family, in your business, in your job, in your career, in your personal life like this. This is the stuff that that makes you great. This is the stuff that awakens the greatness inside of you is this is the stuff that that most people aren't willing to to pay the price for, that most people aren't willing to address and self and and and, and adopt that spirit of self-awareness. And in Luke, Chapter 18, here's a Guy who was not aware at all when it says the Pharisee stood in verse 11. Two men went up to the temple to pray, the Pharisee and tax collector, and the Pharisee stood up and prayed this to himself God, I thank you. Now he starts out good, God, I thank you. But it goes all downhill from there. After God, I thank you, that's all he's got, man. And then he just goes downhill. God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Whoa. First of all, what are you like then? We're all like other people in one way or another. As soon as he said, I'm not like other people, he elevated himself and exalted himself. Oh, I'm not like other people, but you really are. You have you're made up of the same, you know, flesh and blood. You're you're made up with the same brain. You have the same, you know, you're, you're made you, you, your DNA is different. Your fingerprints different. You're uniquely you, but you're not different than everybody else. I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, uh, or even like this tax collector, like he's talking to God about the guy next to him. Now, I know we've we've all read this passage of scripture, but sometimes we just skip over it because it's too self. It it demands too much self awareness, so to speak, that like this is where to grow. You got to be willing to to be honest and there's no honesty in this guy. First of all, he said, I'm not like other people lie. I'm not a swindler lie. These Pharisees, they were swindlers, they were religious people. They took advantage of people. Uh, unjust. He's unjust. He's lying adulterer. This it was the Pharisees that, fa- that found the woman caught in adultery. I mean, how did they find her? Like, how can you be? And it says they caught her in the very act. Like, how do you catch a woman in the very act of adultery unless you're like meddling with it, too? Uh, adulterers. Or if you want to say, OK, maybe they weren't physically. But the Bible says if you look at a woman to lust for her, you've committed. Jesus said you've committed adultery. So guilty. We're all guilty. Let's just get it all out on the table. We've all we've all fallen short of the glory. Am I in the right church here still? Or are you not like other people? <laughs> I fast twice a week like this guy just doesn't know when to stop. He should have stopped it. Father, I thank you, God, I thank you. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector. He standing some distance away was unwilling to even lift his eyes to heaven. Now, I'm not saying that we need to be. This this sort of self abasement, we're we're delivered from that, too, because we're the righteousness of God uh, and and we need to understand that we're the righteousness of God. But the spirit of humility is what this this guy is operating in this 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 tax collector. He said standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, Jesus said this man, he went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted like to me. And I I hope this I hope you, you feel what I'm what I'm saying, like to me, the number one characteristic that should be in any human's life is humility, because we're all made of dust. We're all, you know, Jesus had mercy on us all and like he he had to come for us. Like I'm thankful that he that he came for me but I I'm 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 a little sad that he had to. But he had to. Like he had to. Cuz I wasn't going to make it on my own and neither were you. Like we needed a savior and we didn't even know that we needed a savior. Right? So I think that that this is the secret to to living. This is the secret to life. And you'll hear me talk about this often, but not because I think poorly of you. It's because I know how the human mind is and I know how easy it is to forget the simple things. And Vince Lombardi, the head coach, the head coach from uh, 60 years ago or so of the Green Bay Packers, Um, every season, when the season would begin, he would meet with his team. And the first thing he would do is he would take a football and he would say to his team, all the players, this is a football. This is a football. Like he's talking to football players. You'd think they knew what a football was, but he would always start with the fundamental. This is a football like this is the goal, guys, holding on to this, carrying this, protecting this, defending this. This is a football. And I believe that humility and gratitude are our football (laughs) that really because we're in one way, in one sense, we're holding two footballs, humility and gratitude. Like to me. Like, I'm thankful that you came tonight. I know I have something for you and I know that your life will be changed, but I never forget, ever let myself forget, I can't. I will not ever let myself forget, not because I'm so good at this, but because I I will never forget what God did to save me and all the trouble he went through to get to me and to care enough to be patient with me, because my first 30 years as a Christian weren't that weren't that much to be proud of. And so now that I'm in my thirty first year, just kidding. Uh, but but I think I think that to always be grateful and to always be humble are uh, something that I, I, to me is just a beautiful thing. It's like it's it's beauty. It's beauty. Like you think of what's beautiful and we usually associate the word beauty with something external. I really believe beauty is humility and thankfulness are the most beautiful things that a human person can have, that a human person can display a human person. It's like a I got that from the redundancy of Department of redundancy, uh, the department redundancy department. You know, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but um, that is to me, that's beautiful like that. And, and isn't that what what God says in Micah chapter six. What does God require of you, O man? But to but to do justice, to love mercy and to walk humbly, to walk humbly before your God. Right. And that's really what we're all called to, a life of humility. And because God gives grace to the humble, like there's he promotes and exalts the humble. And I believe that we can never We can never fail. When we're humble, like we can make mistakes, but we'll never fail, like God will always back us up. Humility is the beauty, is the beauty of Jesus. Like you think about his life, you think about how the son of God, the the God, the son first became the son of God. He was God, the son, and even becoming the son of God was a step down. He was God, the son, and then he became the son of God and then he became the son of man. And then he was born to a virgin in a stable and then he became the servant of all. And then he became obedient to the point of death. And then he became obedient to the point of death on a cross. He humbled himself. Every every step Jesus took was a step of humility. Every person he touched was an act of beauty and humility on display. Every person he forgave, every person he healed, This is the. The beauty of Jesus, humility that he could have said, I'm going to wipe you all out, start over, he said. God said that once. Move, move out of the way, Moses. I'm about to get these these Israelites, let's get them all start over with you. And Moses said, Lord, no, uh, please, uh, you, you know, on behalf of your covenant, don't don't do that on behalf of the covenant you made to Abraham. And and God's like, oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, (laughs) Disaster averted, not obviously, God didn't forget. But when we put him in remembrance of what he said, he moves mightily. Mm -hmm. Or things move mightily, what however you want to, whatever theological category you want to put it in. There's something powerful about putting God in remembrance of what he has said and thanking him for what he said. Okay, so let me get to to where I want to be here with you. There are um, so frame emotional intelligence, frame it, put it in perspective, like get like let let it let it die. Let it subside before you make a decision framing that's framing it, then name it. You can't control an emotion that you can't name. Like if it's fear, you got to be able to call it what it is. It's fear. If it's uh, if it's anger, you got to be able to call what it is. If it's lust, can call it what it is like be honest. name it and then you'll be able to tame it. Like in Genesis chapter four, if you look there with me, you guys, good. in every one of our families, jobs, businesses, the number one characteristic of a successful person is emotional intelligence. There's just nothing more there. There is nothing that will bring you more success than to be able to think through your emotions, emotional intelligence to 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 make your emotions have to wait for your brain to make your emotions wait for your thoughts. Okay? Like like treat it like if you had little children like your emotions are your little children. Little children can get crazy. Little children get wild. Little children can react. Little children can you know, throw a tantrum. Little children can get so excited at one second and then be really like throw themselves down on the ground the next second. So our emotions are like little children and you're the parent. You got to, you got your, your your thought life is the parent of your emotions. And if you see it like that, like my emotions are the child in my life and children are beautiful. Emotions are beautiful. But there's nothing worse than when you go to a grocery store or you're in a public place and a parent is not taking care of business with their kid and the kids flopping all around and yelling and scratching and grabbing people and yelling. And, you know, am I in the right place here today? Like, like that's like, come on, get your kid, get your. Come on. Don't make me have to do something about your kid like I'll spank him. You sit there and just do nothing. Give him to me for a minute. Let me take him to my car. (laughs) He's going to come back and you're going to want to kiss me for what I did for your kid. But you got to you got to look at it like that. Like my emotions are my kids and they're beautiful and they're amazing. I love them when they're little and I don't not that I don't love them when they're older, but (laughs) (laughs) when your kids are little, you love them, but they're they're not in control. So guess who needs to be in control? The parent. And so if you if you look at your own personal life like this, your thought life has to be. And really, it's God. It's a it's a word ruled thought life like a a word of God ruled thought life has to be the parent to your emotions. So my emotions have to check in with my with my word based Bible based thought life. So before I allow my that child in me to behave in the way that it wants to behave. I don't mean to put it in words where I'm just kind of making this stuff up, but you get the point, you get the illustration. I know it's not a perfect analogy, but it draws a picture of that before my before my emotional child reacts, I need to have a talk with it. You see, if you just like, if you just look at your emotions like that, like they, your emotions have to be parented by your thought life. Yep. That's what's helped me anyway. Maybe it'll help you. But in Genesis chapter four, so um, now it says in verse one of Genesis four, uh, Adam had relations with his wife Eve. D- does anybody need me to explain that, like, <laughs> in detail? and she conceived. So I think you can understand what what kind of relations that they had. And she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man child by the help of the Lord. And then she gave birth to his brother Abel and Abel was the keeper of flocks. Cain was the tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering. And I really don't want to focus on the offering here, the fruit of the ground. But Abel brought the firstlings of the of the of the flock. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry. So this is where we really see besides in Adam, obviously, besides in Adam and Eve's life, where we see some emotions the first emotion that they experienced and encountered was fear. And and the first emotion that we see displayed by Cain is anger. So which those two things really go together. Anger is usually a a, a byproduct of some sort of fear, like if I get angry at you, I either I'm afraid that what you did to me will have more long lasting effects or I'm afraid that if you don't do what I need you to do, that I'll miss out on something. And so I use anger. Then what ends up happening is I use anger as a manipulative way to get your attention or to get you to do what I want you to do or to not do what I don't want you to do. That's where my anger child needs to be parented by the head, by the mind child, by the mind adult or by the mind parent, or you get it. So so Cain gets angry and notice where his anger originates from. His anger comes from his comparison. So he as as soon as he compares himself, this is uh, the granddaddy of a lot of negative emotions is our comparisons to each other. So when we realize, wait, I don't I I can value you and I can value me without comparing you to me and without comparing me to you, Like I can appreciate what the, what the, the gift that you are in this world And I can appreciate the gift that I am in this world without having to pull you down to make me feel better. But what what happens in Cain's life is as soon as he starts comparing him, his offering to, to Abel's offering and how it affected God and how it impacted his relationship with God, instead of dealing with himself, look at what happens. It says it came because he was It says in verse five, he became angry, his countenance fell and the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? Now, I would imagine God knew the answer to this, but Cain didn't. The reason why God asks him this question is not because he doesn't know the answer, but because Cain doesn't know the answer. So God God knows everything. But but he wants Cain to think about why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? And this. okay, Oh. Man, I hope I hope this makes sense. Why is mentioned twice here in this verse? And the reason is, is because you always need to look for the why in life. Like, why? Like, why am I reacting like this? Why am I responding like this? Why, when the offering is passed, why does something inside of me say all that church wants is their money? you know, is my money Uh, or why when um, if you're in a situation where uh, where if the church were to say, hey, can you serve in this, can you volunteer in this area of ministry And, and you're like, wow, but I really belong over in this area of ministry or that area of ministry. When you start, what you have to do is instead of asking why and always questioning other people's motive, ask yourself why that you're responding in the way that you are. So because that's what God's trying to teach Cain. Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not? Will your countenance not be lifted? He says. And if you don't do well, sin is crouching at the door. But notice what he says. But you must master it. You must master it. So God tells Cain you need to master what's going on inside of you and Cain then verse eight. So in verse seven, God is talking to Cain. But in verse eight, Cain goes and talks to Abel. The problem here is Cain hasn't dealt with his emotions yet. Look, what's what is skipped between verse seven and verse eight is that God asks him the question, why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen or verse six, wherever it was. Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? He never answers the question, but he goes to talk to. He goes and talks to his brother Abel. And look at what happens. It says, so it came about when they were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Why did Cain kill Abel? Because Cain did not answer the question, why am I reacting this way. Why am I dealing with this feeling? Because, oh, man. When you skip the why, you begin to do what I called last week, instead of framing, naming and taming your emotions, what ends up happening is we shame, we blame and we maim others. Clearly, this is exactly what Cain did to Abel. He was he felt shame. So. When he felt the shame he blamed, he put the blame on. Listen, I just want to pause for a second and say, I'm preaching to me right now and you're the benefactor of me preaching to me. You're getting an inside look at me preaching to me. So don't please don't think Is he preaching to me? I'm preaching to me. If you want to benefit from it, that'd be a good idea. (laughs) But I'm preaching to me. Okay, you get what I'm saying? So, so, (laughs) because if you don't, if you don't frame your emotion, like Cain should have framed his emotion. Like, why? Okay, frame it. Why am I dealing with this? Name it. This is anger, man. I'm getting angry, and then, and then tame it. Like I got to master this thing. Instead of doing that. He took on the shame. I feel ashamed. So now what does he do? He produces blame because that's that's shame's twin brother is blame. Shame always goes with blame. If you feel shame, you will you will then blame either you go to God and say, Lord, I thank you that I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of knowing you. You're not ashamed of me and I'm not ashamed of what I did because I'm the righteousness of God. The blood of Jesus cleanses me and I have already forgiven. Thank you, Lord. I'm not going to live in the shame. I'm not going to beat myself up. I'm not going to condemn myself. See, this is how you this is. This is how you deal with you. It's not just it's not dealing with yourself by by beating yourself up. It's dealing with yourself by recognizing that, yes, I'm responsible for me, but I'm also the righteousness of God. So I'm so I'm willing to 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 have self-awareness in my life. But self-awareness does not work with self-awareness. All right. She said, come on. All right, here you go. No, no. Here I go. then, since <laughs> she said it. Uh, self-awareness does not work without self-acceptance. These two things have to go together if you because if you have self-awareness, you're it's it's like being self-conscious if like I was always self-conscious as a kid, self-conscious of how I look, self-conscious of what, whether people like me, self-conscious of like I'm thinking things that other people aren't thinking. Like, I don't know if anybody ever felt that way like I did, but I always felt like I always think different than other people. And and I, they must not. They everybody else must be getting doing really well, but I'm not like I'm self-conscious is feeling observed without feeling approved. It, it's feeling observed, like somebody's looking at me, but feeling like they're not approving of me. And then that feels like shame. And so what I'm saying is self awareness, which is what I'm I'm, I've been talking about, has to be partnered with self acceptance, which means I accept that I'm an imperfect person, but that God loves me anyway and God approves of me anyway. And so I never have to blame you for making me feel anything because I have the power to feel approved by God, even if you don't approve of me. Now, I'd rather you approve of me than not approve of me. But I don't need you to approve of me for me to approve of me because God approves of me. And you don't like you. You should rather that I approve of you, but you don't need me to approve of you. But guess what? I approve of you. But the good news is, is I only approve of you because God approves of you and I only approve of me because God approves of me. I got the stamp that says heaven approved because of the blood of Jesus. And so do you like you're exactly like me. I'm exactly like you. I'm not any different. I was self-conscious all my life feeling observed but not approved. Maybe you've gone through that. You feel somebody's observing me. Somebody's looking at me. Somebody's critiquing me or criticizing me. This is why people can't take critique is because they don't have self-acceptance. They they don't have self-awareness or they don't have self-acceptance. These two things have to go together. You have to be self-aware, like I'm humble, I admit and I realize. But I'm also I self-accept. I know that I'm the righteousness of God and I'm not going to live under condemnation another day in my life and nobody's going to shame me. You can you can come to me and you can critique me. But if you try to shame me, it won't work. You can say, well, you ought to be you ought to feel bad about this and you ought to feel bad about that and you ought to feel bad about this and you ought to feel bad about that. But my feel badder, my my thing inside of my head to feel bad about stuff is broken. We don't call it that out in the world. We call it something else my give a crap. (laughs) It's broken. So I don't feel bad. About my mistakes, because then I would feel bad all the time. And you can't feel bad about your mistakes or guess what? You'd feel bad all the time. So what do we need to do? We need to learn self-awareness, which is the humility to be introspective with self-acceptance, which is knowing that you're the righteousness of God and you don't have to live in shame another day in your life because God approves of you as his holy, beloved child in Christ. That's who we are with me. Um, for time's sake, I know, you know, we're getting we're, we're at that point, but I want to I want to say um, a couple other things about this is that if you. If I can, if I can say it to you this way, you know, I, I wasn't able to I wasn't able to share this on Sunday. So can I just like share something with you real quick that I I couldn't really say then not not that I couldn't, but it just was not in the, it was out of context. But remember in Romans chapter eight, when I shared with you on Sunday, if you guys for tho- for those that weren't here, I hope you'll get this teaching if you weren't. But if and if you guys are watching, you can flip through if you're on our Facebook page or our webcast, you can find last Sunday's teaching. But remember what, what when I shared with you how Paul said, what shall we say to these things? Yeah. Yeah. And if you if you go back over there and I'll try to tie this together and close here. But when you go back over there, when he says, what shall we say to these things? Verse thirty one of 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 Romans eight. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How should he not also with him freely give us all things? And then he says, uh, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies who is the one who condemns. Christ Jesus is the one who died and rather rose from the dead and is seated at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or famine? We went through all this. But then verse thirty six says something after verse thirty five, he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, And here's where I couldn't drill down on Sunday. But he says, just as just as it is written for 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 thy sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are like sheep led to the slaughter. Like that's that doesn't seem like one of those. What shall we say to these things Verses. like I can like right. We can all dig the one that says who will bring a charge against God's elect. Amen, I'm going to declare that, and there's nothing wrong with that. We, he said to say these things. But he says also, how shall he who's, who freely give, gave us Jesus? How will he not also with him freely? We should say that. Um, who shall separate us from the who, should, who, should, who can condemn us? We should declare, No one can condemn us. We're not condemned. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. And then we should say nothing will separate us from the love of God. Neither Prince neither. Uh, what does he say? He gives this list tribulation or or distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril or the sword. And then he says for for your sake, Lord, for thy sake, we are being put to death all day long. He's quoting a scripture out of Isaiah. We are we are like sheep led to the slaughter. Now, here's what I want to where I want to kind of bridge this. Um, But then he says, but in all these things, we're more than conquerors. But we are but we are sheep led to the slaughter. If you leave that part out, which I did on Sunday and I deliberately did on Sunday, but because it takes a little a little more spiritual like on your end to want to hear more deeper emotional intelligence includes recognizing that sometimes in life stuff's going to happen to you. And you've got to be like the lamb. And you got to like take it. And that doesn't mean like he's saying, we're more than conquerors and he's saying, no, who shall condemn us, not take that. But sometimes the Bible says. Like a deaf man, I did not hear. And like a dumb man, I did not speak, not dumb, like dumb and dumber, but like (laughs) not being able to speak (laughs) dumb. That. It's sort of like you're going to be mistreated sometimes. And he's saying you gotta in the same way that you say to yourself and you say to these things, no one can condemn me in all these things. I'm more than a conqueror. You also need to say to yourself sometimes when something happens in my life where somebody hurts me. I don't have to defend myself. I don't have to blame. I don't have to shame. I don't have to fight. I'm just gonna identify with Jesus as the lion and the lamb, and I'm going to be okay with, and I'm gonna say to myself, Hey, sometimes I'm being put to death all day long. That doesn't mean we act like martyrs or we act like we're, you know, victims. What I'm what what I'm trying to pull out of this and draw from this scripture is that we're gonna be mistreated sometimes. And we got to be like sheep led to the slaughter, like we got to be able to sacrifice for the betterment of others. And sometimes that hurts. And in any in relationships, it hurts sometimes, but like a lamb cut me, bust me open let my blood run out, not as a substitute for Jesus blood. But if that's what if that's what it takes to show love and to walk in the power of God, it's not demeaning ourselves. It's not being a rug for somebody to walk on. It's being humble like a lamb and dying to self. It's really what he's talking about here. Now, in all these things, we're more than conquerors. (laughs) But we got to die to self sometimes. I I do, he says every day, like verse thirty six is like day after day, dying to self doesn't mean dying to ice cream. (laughs) Dying to self doesn't mean dying to a good meal, dying to self doesn't mean. you know, you, you can never enjoy things. Dying to self means you're dead to the old you that you used to be, the you that was outside of Christ, the you that was self-centered, the you that was focused on pride, me, myself and I. And you become alive to the new self who is hidden with Christ in God and who is more than a conqueror and who is everything that God says you are because God says you are. Thank you so much for joining me on this podcast today. I hope you're encouraged by today's message. It's my prayer that messages like this one would help cultivate your worth and your sense of value that's inside of you and grow you closer to God than you've ever been before. And I also want to encourage you to be a part of what God is doing here at Gregory Dickow Ministries and Life Changers Church. If you want to support this ministry and help us continue to take the message of God's grace and His love around the world, I want to encourage you to visit gregorydickow.com and consider sowing a seed into this ministry. You know, through your partnership, we're bringing hope to the hopeless, love to the lost and healing to the hurting and broken. You'll also find plenty of resources, including free videos and articles that will help you grow in your walk with God and help you fulfill God's purpose for your life. Together, we are changing the world one life at a time from the inside out. God bless.